listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Why are stories so powerful? Film, music, art, right? Uh, All help us to see other people's story in a new light, right? And, And if it's any good art or music or film, we probably see a piece of ourself somewhere in there as well. The right narrative at the right time has the power to strike a chord with people in an incredibly special way. Like, uh, I like movies. Um, I, I like every kind of movie, pretty much. Um, what, what are some of your guys' favorite movies? Rochelle, I'm going to use this for a sec. Um, who has a favorite movie? Come on. Hannah? Sound of Music, okay. Who else? Brian? Godfather. Godfather, whoa, Woo. all right. Come on. I hate to say this in church, Silence of the Lambs. Whoa. <laughs> Hello, Clarice, all right. Okay, cool. Who else? Who else has a favorite movie? Pursuit of Happiness. Okay, great. Cross the Universe, okay. If I were to ask you why that was your favorite movie, I want you to think about your answer. Think about your answer, especially you, Silence of the Lambs. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. (laughs) I want you to think about why that particular movie, that particular narrative is something that strikes a chord with you. Why is it that that story is your favorite, right? I think... um, You know, I think the acting can be good in movies, and it can be full of action, but for me, if the storyline isn't good or it's overly predictable or something like that, it will not stay with me. It'll fall off as I move the, leave the, what, as I leave the movie theater or the next day, right? Like, just like, oh, that was fun, you know? But if the storyline is good, you know, in some movies have such a good storyline that they stand the test of time. And I think that uh, when I think of movies that stand the test of time, it's, it's Shawshank Redemption all the way. Like, that, that I, I'm sorry, if you haven't seen it already, you've had 30 years, pretty much, like, to see it. So, I, I, but, uh, but it's, it's a beautiful movie, and some of the best most inspiring and memorable quotes in movies to me. Maybe it's just Morgan Freeman's voice. I don't know, you know, but he has that like deep baritone, like, hey, Andy, you know, and uh, kind of voice. And I've seen it at least 97 times, not, not joking. And I'll still watch it if it comes on to this day. It's a story of two men in prison. In a nutshell, it's a story of two men in prison who form an incredible friendship through excruciatingly trying times. These guys go through some stuff together. Do any of you guys have a friend that you went through stuff together? You know, like hard stuff? That's, that's, that's these guys. And, and uh, basically, Andy, uh, who, who's Tim Robbins, um, he, he refuses to stop dreaming He's in there the whole time. He's in jail for a long time, and he just, he always has a dream in his heart. And uh, the other guy, Morgan Freeman, uh, gave up his dream a long time ago. Like he said in that clip, I'm an institutionalized man now. How, how many of you feel like, ugh, hopeless? I'm an institutionalized man right now. I have days like that. I don't know about you guys, but, um, but uh, the story is, is a story of, the redemption of both men from the hurt and pain that they, they, they've suffered over the years and, and the power of holding on to hope. The power of holding on to hope. And stories like Shawshank Redemption stand the test of time because even though the movie was an adaption from a Stephen King novel, um, 
the theme of the movie resonates, right? Redemption, right? Uh, rights being made, or wrongs main, being made right. Sorry, my dyslexia is like in full swing this morning. I keep saying the opposite of what I want to say. <laughs> uh, the movie resonates with us in real life, and, and stories impact our lives in a powerful way. I mean, there's just no question about it. Sometimes they make us cry, right? Sometimes they give us a much-needed laugh, right? And and, uh, other times they wrap everything up in a neat, tidy bow with justice served right before bed, right? Like, that's my favorite type of movie, pretty much, is like one I can sleep in good conscience with. Um, but, um, But Jesus used stories and narrative as one of his primary teaching tools. And uh, we, we studied uh, a parable a few weeks ago um, where Jesus was telling a, a story about seeds and roots and, and, and uh, soil, right? And uh, Jesus used stories all the time to teach. And uh, so we're in a series right now called pursuit, and we're going after the will of God, and the will of God can be such a confusing thing if we let it be. Uh, I think we've, we've said it every, t- every message in this series is like, so many times we'll go to God and be like, oh man, I met this girl, Kim, is it your will that I marry her, like, Lord, or, or um, you know, uh, should I take this job, should I not take this job, do you will something better for me, do I, should I, should I, would I, you know, like, we just can get lost in it, right? We can just get lost in it, and so I, I think uh, and our teaching team has been breaking this down piece by piece. The will, there, there are several pieces of God's will that the Bible states completely clearly that we do not have to question about. And, and so um, on uh, week one, I spoke to you about how it is God's will for us to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, toenails, fingernails, everything we have inside of us, earwax, everything, everything, worshiping God, right? Love God with everything, right? And love other people as you love yourself or at even, even better as Christ loved you, right? That's scary because that's sacrificial. That's not just as much as I love myself, because Jesus loved me way more than I love myself because he was willing to die, right? And so the first week we talked about loving God with everything and loving people as Christ loved us. And, and uh, in the, uh, last week, Brian brought a message about holy, about being holy, how it's God's will for us to be holy. And whenever the word holy comes up in church, if it's not directed at God and directed at people, it makes me a little nervous. Because people get, have preconceived notions of what that, that holy word means. But the key is, is that we are surrendered to Jesus and that we are living empowered by his Holy Spirit. And that, if we are doing that, that makes us holy. So I highly encourage you to go back and listen to the past messages of this series um, if you missed any of them because they've been really good. But um, this week, a piece of God's will for all of, all of his believers is that we would tell his story. That we would tell his story, the story of God, the story of God's son, right? Uh, uh, there's no question in my mind that it is God's will for us to share his story, right? And uh, because nothing holds the power to transform a person's life like the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Nothing on this earth and the Father who sent him, right? The love of the Father that sent him. And the narratives we share about the redemption found in Jesus in our own lives if you're a believer, Some of you may not be a believer, and that's okay. I'm so glad you're here. 
But if you are a believer, the narratives of what God has done in your own life are so powerful. It's a story worth telling, right? And, and um, so for our time together, we're going to focus on a story uh, told by Jesus. And uh, Jesus, uh, I'm going to set it up here. Jesus is at a powerful Pharisee's house for dinner. He got invited and uh, surrounded by the religious elite, like the, the uber religious, right? And uh, how many people know that you can be religious and not know God? Right? That's right. So the, he, Jesus is surrounded by the uber religious. And basically they're waiting to catch him saying something that they can use against him. Basically, that's where they're at. Um, that's what the whole purpose of this dinner is. And, and Jesus ain't no fool, right? He's not interested in playing nice. He don't, Jesus don't play, right? Look, look through the stories of the Bible. He don't play. He's a direct communicator. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't tend to candy coat things. And, and so actually, while they're in this dinner, a man with a, a medical condition uh, that the Bible calls dropsy, which I had to look up, honestly. <laughs> I had no idea what that was. But it, um, dropsy is actually an old word for when uh, a person used to retain massive, massive amount of water and their joints would like swell really bad. And, um, and so this guy comes into the dinner. He's, he, he needs healing. And, um, and so before healing him, Jesus uh, asks the religious leaders, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Because here we are at a Sabbath dinner, right? Is it, is it lawful in the Sabbath like it, it, to heal this person? And, and after a few moments of silence, Jesus heals the man and sends him on his way, which I just love. He doesn't wait for one of them to speak up. He just does what he knows is right, right? And knowing the religious leaders did not approve, Jesus then says, which one of you wouldn't have pulled your own son or forget your own son, even an ox, out of a, out of a hole or a well if they fell in on the Sabbath, right? And the men continue to stay silent because, duh, like they're, they're, gonna, they're, they're going to pull their son out of a well on the Sabbath, right? And so, uh, you know, so tension is bubbling underneath the surface in this, in this dinner, right? And Jesus also noticed that the Pharisees and religious leaders were all very quick to choose the seat of honor at the banquet. So they came in, and so this banquet, you, uh, you may be thinking of like a long banquet table like we see in the painting of the Last Supper or something like that, but really what this was, was it was sort of a really big U-shaped couch, right? It, it was like a U-shaped couch with a short table in front of it, and that's where all the food was, and so the, the guests of the feast would recline that's what they mean when they say recline at the table is that they would sit on the couch and kind of grab something and eat it, right? And, and so the seat of honor was right in the middle of the couch next to the host of the banquet, the party, the feast. And so that was the place of honor. And so Jesus comes into this dinner and he notices that all the Pharisees and religious leaders are scrambling for the seat of honor, right? They're, all of them are trying to get as close to the center as possible because of status, right? Status. And so, they, so they, they're fighting over this position of, of status. Who is going to be the one who's in the, the coveted seat, right? And Jesus says to them, um, again, very directly, Jesus says to them, when you go to a dinner, don't sit in the place of honor, but sit in the lowest place. And he says this, because the proud will be humbled, but the humble will be lifted up, right? So, so if you go, Jesus tells these men, if you go to a dinner, sit on the outside. That way the host can say, no, no, friend, come here to the seat of honor. So you'll be lifted up 
to the seat of honor rather than the host coming in and saying, oh, what are you doing in the seat of honor? Brian Bell's coming here pretty soon, and he, he need, he's, he's bet, of better status than you. He's more handsome. He's from Boston, you know. Um, so, like, he, he's going to have the seat of honor next to me, and you need to go down there. Like, awkward, right? Like, so Jesus is giving them not only life lessons, but etiquette lessons, right? Like, so he's, he's telling them, he recognizes that they are so far from humble that they, they need to be humbled, right? They needed a lesson in being humble. And, and so Jesus is telling them, sit down, be humble, just like Kendrick Lamar. Um, um, yeah. So he also told them that when they throw a dinner party, they shouldn't invite all their friends or the elite in the community, but the poor and afflicted, so that there was no chance of them being repaid for the dinner, right? So if you invited your friends over and, you know, one of them might say, hey, I'm having a party next week. Please come to my party and sit in the place of honor, and that would be like you getting paid back. So Jesus is just He's, he's going after these guys. He's not messing around, right? And, and uh, I, I don't think he's doing it angrily or anything like that, but he's just stating these things that are so countercultural to these men, right? And they're, they're, the, the tension is on the rise. And so it's at this point that one of the Pharisees kind of blurts out something just to break up the awkward in the room, right? Like, like it, it was basically the equivalent of nice weather we're having today or like, hey, how about those Red Sox? They stink, I've been saving that since last week. Amen. Go Dodgers. Uh, but Jesus knows what these men invited him to the banquet for, right? And, 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 and he isn't really one for small talk so far, right? It's, it, he's kind of a direct-to-the-point kind of guy. So would you pick up this story with me in uh, Luke 14, beginning at verse 15? So Luke 14, verse 15, and I'm reading from the ESV uh, translation, if that matters to you, but we'll also have it on the screen. So, um, so the, guy, the guy breaks the awkward by basically saying, like, you know, man, go, you know, go weather, right? Like, this weather is great, you know? So that's where we're at at this point in the dinner. So uh, beginning at verse 15, when one of, the, when one of those who reclined at the table with him, heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet. Here goes the story. Ready? A man once gave a great banquet and invited many, many, and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And the other said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come, because the wife said I can't. <laughs> that was a joke. That's not really in there. <laughs> so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. 
For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Right? So let's just go through some observations of this story. The master in this story extends very generously an invitation to his banquet to many. The Bible says many were invited. And he extends this this invitation out of joy and love and and just out of celebration. And uh, several of the people that he invited, you know, he, he makes all the preparations, you know, he like did the did the like Pinterest decorations and like you know he he even bought like a fog machine to make sure that the mirror ball was you know like it was like this is gonna be a slamming party right and and uh, he he killed the fattened calf so they were gonna have some really good meat but also they were gonna have a a really widespread of vegan you know stuff for everybody who's who that sounds disgusting to um uh but so he's just going all out for this party this feast and he's so excited to have his friends over and uh his his, you know some of the excuses start to roll in and man if 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 i do say so myself they are kind of lame excuses right anybody else read that and feel like that was lame like oh um Okay, so you um, you bought five oxen, and you haven't seen them yet. Like you probably should have looked at them before you bought them, right? Or or, or maybe that's just an excuse. Or or maybe um, you know. Uh, <laughs> Maybe this guy that bought a field that had never seen it. Like I, I just think like you don't know what's in the field. Like you should probably go examine a field before you buy it, right? That's like my, my number one rule in life is go examine a field before you buy it, right? And um, this guy didn't apparently do that. So he, these excuses are so lame. Like, like I, I just got married. Okay, well, there's a slamming party going on. Let's like let the celebration continue, right? The, these excuses are lame, And so the servant didn't argue. I I think that's interesting that the servant didn't argue with the people who were invited. I think that's really interesting because he didn't try to convince them like, hey, uh, I can tell that this this thing is like, like you're just making up excuses here. Like you just don't want to come for some reason, but this is going to be like a good party. Like the servant didn't argue with him. He just came back and and, uh, the Bible says, that when he came back and told him of the excuses, um, that the master was angry, right? It, but, but when it says angry, I almost feel like it was, it was like an anger out of hurt, right? It wasn't like temper because they defied him. And, 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 and when I read this passage, it reads like hurt out of anger. How many times have you been angry out of hurt, right? Yeah. And um, so, but the master got past it, moved on, and opened the invitation to anyone and everyone. Basically, anyone and everyone. The master said, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. Poor, crippled, blind, and lame now have the first round of invitations, right? That's interesting. Uh, Number uh, 22 says, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. So, So go out and get every person who's in a humble position or an outcast and bring them to my feast right? And then uh, verse 23 says, and the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled Bring everyone you encounter to my house, because it's a big, big house. Lots and lots of room. Sorry. 90s, 90s church kid. Um, I love this parable so much, and the Lord brought it to me a few weeks ago before I even knew I was going to preach this message. Um, and, I, and I have just been in it. Like, I've just been reading it, and, and it's just so, such a beautiful parable. It, it may be unclear to you what this has to do with God's will for us to tell his story. 
It may be unclear for you. So, so let me tell you this. Um, in this parable that Jesus is sharing with these Pharisees and the religious elite, God is the master in this parable. God is the master in this parable. And it, and it tells of a feast where the poor, the lonely, and the outcast are invited into the presence of God. They receive the place of honor, the first invitation, right? They receive the place of honor. Just like Jesus said in the, in the, um, in the other parable where if you humble yourself, you will be lifted up. If you feel like an outcast, isn't it, it amazing that God welcomes you in and not only that, but gives you the seat of honor in the banquet? That's just good. That's just good. The invitation gets opened up to anyone and everyone who would respond to the invitation. They have to respond to the invitation, right? Little did the listeners know that Jesus was telling them his story. He was telling him them his story. This parable describes what Jesus came to do. What he left heaven, he left the presence of the Father to come to the earth to do. This parable describes it. If God is the master in this parable, then Jesus is the servant, the one who extends the invitations from the master, right? Dealing with excuses of the entitled, that's Jesus. And most of the entitled people were in his presence at that very moment. And he, they're the ones he's telling the story to. Jesus is the one who extends God's invitation to the poor, hurt, afflicted, and broken in spirit. He extends the place of honor to them, the humble. Jesus is the one that goes to the highways and byways and extends God's welcome to anyone and everyone that will accept the invitation through Jesus. That phrase, through Jesus, that's key. This is Jesus's story. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I, am, I bring the invitation, right? This is what Jesus came to do, and he said it over and over again throughout the New Testament. You don't have to look all these up. Maybe just jot them down. I'm going to burn through a couple of verses right now. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is, is the servant in the story, and here it says he came not to be served, but to he came to, there we go, John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. He's the invitation Luke 5, 30 and 32, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, when, when they say tax collectors, it's not like H&R Block. It's like, it's like the Sopranos, right? It's like the Gotti family, right? Like, uh, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's that invitation from God, right? This parable is Jesus' story. This is what Jesus came to do to bring the invitation to the kingdom of God to all those who would accept it through Jesus Christ, right? But hold on to your hats because there's a twist coming. It's not just Jesus' story. It's your story too. It should be the story of every believer because it is the will of God that everyone be invited into his kingdom through Jesus Christ. And when Jesus returned to the Father, after he came to the earth and lived a perfect, sinless life and died an agonizing sinner's death and was resurrected and returned to the Father, He left us, his followers, his job. Jesus left us his job to extend God's invitation to all those we encounter. I'm going to throw some more scripture at you. You don't just write them down. You don't have to look them all up. Matthew 10, 7, this is where Jesus is first, the first time he's sending out his 12 disciples. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Proclaim the kingdom of heaven as you go. Now, uh, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus not only sends out his 12, but there's a large group of 72 of his followers in the early days of his ministry that he sends out. And he says this in Luke uh, 10, 8, and 9. Wherever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled with God. Accept God's invitation to the banquet. These are, the, these are some of the last verses in Matthew, Matthew 28, and Jesus' resurrected from the dead, and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, followers of Jesus. Disciples is a fancy church word, but all it means is Christ followers. People who are following Christ. Make disciples of some nations, only the ones we like. Nope. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Acts 1, 8. Our denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, um, holds this verse very dearly. This is one of the center points of our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, the president of our denomination continually calls us an Acts 1-8 family. And um, let's just read it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. You will be the one carrying my invitation. This isn't Jesus' story alone, but it became our story the minute he left. It became our story, the followers of Jesus. Uh, it should be the story of every believer, but that doesn't change the fact that telling the story of God to someone who doesn't know God is scary, unless you're Charmaine. Because I've been on prayer walks with Charmaine, and she shares Jesus with everybody everywhere she goes. I wish I was a lot more like her. But here's the deal. It's scary. So I thought I would, I would do a very pastor, pastory thing and uh, give you five B's for, uh, they're just thoughts about sharing the gospel and they all start with B. I had to work at it a little, honestly, but I made it happen. So <laughs> we're good. So these are just some thoughts about sharing the gospel and how important it is to um, that we be sharing the gospel all the time. One, one thing that I think is interesting about the parable that Jesus um, shared is that the, the servant didn't spend tons of tr time trying to coax the person who was making excuses into the kingdom of heaven. He spent a, a good, um, the proper amount of time. And then, you know, not that he lost that person in his heart or stopped praying for him, but it didn't, he didn't just stop there. He went on to share the invitation with other people, right? And so sometimes I think when we can think about sharing the invitation into God's story is is that we get focused on one person. And until that person accepts that invitation, you know, like, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with interceding or continuing to pray and waiting and looking for the opportune moment. We have to do those things. We have to. But it shouldn't be like, a, I'm not going to do it like I got my one quota and so when that one is filled, I'll move on to the next one. Does that make sense? Sort of? All right. Brian gave me the eyebrows, so I think I'm good. All right. The five Bs. All right, these are, these are, these are my five Bs, and these are just tips, like, for sharing the gospel. Um, I think the number one thing um, that I, I want to communicate to you is that you need to be caring. You need to care, right? It is so easy to just say, oh yeah, Jesus died on the cross for your sins and not care one bit about what that means to that person. People don't care what you know until you know that they care. Wait a minute. People don't know, <laughs> care, people don't care what you know until they know you care. That's what it is. They don't care how much Jesus has affected your life. They don't care that you go to the mission every Sunday and are faithful. They don't care until they know you care about them. Don't make people your project. Make people your friends, right? And that means sometimes making friends with people that we wouldn't necessarily go out of our way to make friends with. Right now, I have a close friend that I'm spending some time with. He has a tattoo on his hand that says, down for Satan. Like, I love this man. I want him to accept the invitation of Jesus, but first I need him to know that I care and that the pastor in me is, is, 
is not just trying to put another notch on my belt. Does that make sense? People don't care what you know or have experienced until they know that you care about them. The second B, be comfortable with your story. If you are a believer, you need to be comfortable with what God has done in your life. And so my, my thoughts are on this, you know, uh, maybe spend some time really thinking about it. Maybe spend some time in the word, set aside some time to write out your testimony. And it doesn't have to be like, well, first I saw a bright light, you know, like, and I was born. And, you know, <laughs> it doesn't have to be that far back. But I, be comfortable with your story and maybe just spend some time meditating on it, writing it out, and looking in retrospect all the things that God has done in your life. My guess is you won't be able to retell everything God has done in your life. And here's the other thing is your story doesn't have to be dramatic. I feel like sometimes, you know, people who have grown up in church their whole life or whatever, they'll be like, oh, well, I didn't, I wasn't like, a heroin addict and, you know, come to Christ, or I don't have a powerful story, baloney, I guarantee you have weathered many storms in your walk with Christ. And the fact that you stayed faithful through those storms, or maybe you walked away and came back, those are powerful moments in your life. You don't have to have a radical conversion story to be able to tell what God has done in your life. The third B, be comfortable with Scripture because your story is powerful and impactful, but it, it's not going to mean anything unless, uh, it's not going to point them towards God unless you're able to back it up with God's Word. And so here's the deal is you need to pick a few Scriptures and make sure that they're in the right context and I would, I would challenge you, commit them to memory so that when those times happen, arise out of nowhere, you don't have to scroll through your phone or you don't have to go to the car to get your Bible or whatever. Like you have it in here and in here. It's instilled in you. Find those scriptures. I feel like one of, the, one of the easiest scriptures to lead people to the Lord with is John 3.16. It hits it all. And it's, in, you know, not Austin 3.16, by the way, but, but, um, but John 3.16. I, I feel like it's, 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 uh, it's there. But find the scriptures that are meaningful to you and your story in the Lord's faithfulness. And then, um, let's see. Number four, be, be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. I asked you to be comfortable with your story. And um, I think sometimes our stories can be things that we don't want to remember. You know, maybe we don't want to remember um, the time we walked away from the Lord or we did this or did that or whatever and the Lord brought us back from it. But I believe that, you know, I say it a lot, but vulnerability is one of the only true currencies we have as humans. And I think two of the most powerful words in the English language are me too. And when you resonate with someone who's been through something similar to what you've been through. And the Lord has a way of putting those people together, I feel like, which is so cool. But be vulnerable. Start with what God has done in your life and then move on to what God has done for them. Be vulnerable. And then the last thing is, this is 
more just a, a reminder than anything. Be in tune with what the Holy Spirit's doing. Be in tune with the Holy Spirit because here's the, here's the deal is you in your own power, if you're a believer, you can't save anybody. Your story can be good and, and dramatic and, you know, everything, but if the Holy Spirit isn't with you, it's not going to go anywhere. You need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit needs to be working through you. That's when people's lives get impacted. The Holy Spirit has to be in it. And we have to share the fullness of Jesus and what he came to do, the invitation from God the Father. So I want to close with this as the worship team comes. Um, so next time you, you think about like, man, I haven't, um, I haven't talked to my neighbor in a while and I don't know if they are a Christian or anything like that, but I, I think, you know, Lord, should I befriend them? Should I extend your invitation to them after they know I care? I think with authority we can say, yes, it is the Lord's will. Because some things are just plain in the Bible. And uh, I, I, I don't say that to make you feel guilty, but I say it as a challenge. I say that, there, that we are surrounded by people, like Jeff said, who are lost and hurting. We are surrounded by people who are trying to fill the gap inside of them with everything but Jesus. And it is the Lord's will that we share his story and that we share the story of what Jesus has done for them. And um, I also want to say this just really briefly. I think we have to be careful about the narrative that we share with people about God. I think um, sometimes our, our go-to can be to try to convince people that they're sinners rather than there's a Father in heaven who loves them and moved heaven and earth for them. When I was praying about this message, um, the Lord gave, brought a memory back to my mind of, of being a kid, and uh, I'm going to take my own advice and just be, be vulnerable just a little bit here, but... Um, brought a memory back from when I was a kid, and, and um, my dad used to spank me with a belt. Anybody ever get that? <laughs> and um, yeah, so I would mess up, and sometimes I would feel like, man, he's just waiting for me to mess up to get that belt out. Sometimes he would have me go get the belt, which felt extra torturous. You know? And I would cry and cry as a kid, even before anything even happened, because I knew what was going to happen. And I believe that there are a lot of people with that image that I just described to you. They have that image about the Father, the Father God, that. He is just waiting for me to mess up. And he is going to slam that door in my face. He's going to just punish me. I think we have to be careful about the narrative we share with people, especially in the beginning. We want to share the fullness of truth. We want them to know the Father. And yes, the Father disciplines, but He disciplines out of love, not anger. And a lot of people have 
have confusion, even myself, about God the Father because of their earthly father. So rather than trying to convince them that what they're doing is wrong and that they're a sinner, convince them that there is a Father in heaven that moved heaven and earth for them, that wants the best for them. And part of that best is laying down addiction. And part of that best is laying down sexual immorality. And part of that best is getting honest. Maybe there's somebody here today that hasn't accepted the invitation through Jesus. And I won't belabor this, but I just feel like we would be remiss if, you know, we, we you, you, like, I'm sure we're not all believers here. So just everybody close their eyes, and, and if you would, if you want to accept this invitation into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ today, this morning, would you just slip up your hand and put it back down? Anybody? Okay. All right. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this truth that it is your will for your story, the story that you sent Jesus, your son, to the earth to live a sinless life and die a sinner's death and be raised again to wash away our every sin and our every shame. Father God, we love you. You are kind and good. You are the only stable father I've ever known, Lord. You are enough. So Father, let us share your gospel your truth, the good news, this invitation into the kingdom of God, into Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name I pray, and everybody said, amen. listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.